the confidence which past events had tended in some degree to dispel returned once more to the bosoms of all. It was Christmas Day, and a number of officers clubbing their little stock of provisions resolved to dine together in memory of former times. But at so melancholy a Christmas dinner, I do not recollect at any time to have been present. We dined in a barn. Of plates, knives, and forks, there was a dismal scarcity. Nor could our fair boast of much either in intrinsic good quality or in the way of cooking. These, however, were mere matters of merriment. It was the want of so many well-known and beloved faces that gave us pain. Nor were any other subjects discussed, besides the amiable qualities of those who no longer formed part of our mess, and never again form part of it. A few guesses as to the probable success of future attempts alone relieved this topic, and now and then a shot from the schooner drew our attention to ourselves, for though too far removed from the river to be in much danger, we were still within cannon shot of our enemy. Nor was she inactive in her attempts to molest. Elevating her guns to a great degree, she contrived occasionally to strike the wall of the building within which we sat. But the force of the ball was too far spent to penetrate, and could therefore produce no serious alarm. Quote, so melancholy a Christmas, I do not recollect. Unquote. These words spoken by an anonymous British officer huddled on campaign in the field just outside New Orleans in late 1814. In the meager feast just described, perhaps not the way you thought a holiday show might open. Welcome. To the foot of the rapids. Meager, yes, but appropriate perhaps for us, the 1812 community, because there is not much to relate of Christmas at this time. Hard for us to believe in our current age where this bright spot in dark, dark winter occupies such a place of epochal grandeur and careful pivotal planning. The shadow of Christmas's austere beginnings in early colonial New England, being literally banned by puritanical sternness, and later warming to a cool indifference, seemed to linger well into the early 19th century. In the Dutch Reformed Church, which dominated the early New York area, were not the merry Dutch that later brought us Sinterklaas. Decorations and drunkenness reeked of Catholicism in underrepresented faith in America, except Maryland, 
and the nation still awaited the great waves of German and Irish immigrants who would bring at least a little more of Christmas with them. In Upper Canada, the American loyalists dispelled after the revolution brought their general malaise of the holiday with them. Les habitants of Lower Canada and the Creole culture of Louisiana preferred the kisses of New Year's to Noel and same for the Scots of the Maritime Provinces. At best, this might be a quiet day at church, especially among the Anglican faithful and any newly arrived English families who retained the old world customs. Christmas throughout the early Republic was a time for catching up correspondence with friends, perhaps those you hadn't seen for a while. Many people got a short break from work, yes, and certainly a slower time of year on the many farms that dotted the Old Northwest. In 1810, the New York Historical Society hosted their first annual St. Nicholas Day dinner. But by that first Christmas in the War of 1812 for the Northwest Army, things were getting a little more merry. Lieutenant Joseph Larwill, United States Artillery, sat down to a turkey dinner on December 25th, his second that week, with his brother officers and the medical staff in camp at Franklinton, Ohio. Though he also mentions the post was running that day, so not everyone had the day off. A little further to the west, at Fort Greenville, the frost-bitten American troops were stumbling in following the Mississinewa campaign, arriving on Christmas Eve. We left it on the 18th and got to the fort on the 24th of December, it being Christmas Eve. Well, when we got to the fort, we had a jubilee, for there were a plenty to eat and drink, and we had a Merry Christmas of it. We encamped at one edge of the fort without putting out a regular guard and had a real old-fashioned Christmas frolic. We stayed here all Christmas Day and rested, a thing that we greatly needed. William Northcutt, Bourbon Blues, Kentucky Light Dragoons. Elsewhere in that same passage, Northcutt mentions Christmas gifts. No mention of them being exchanged, but at least we know the practice was common enough among the newer Western states to be an idea universally recognized by all. And it is a loss to history. Northcutt did not go on to describe a, quote, real old-fashioned Christmas frolic, unquote. And further up here to the north, along the banks of the Maumee River, nothing short of a Christmas miracle took place for the troops of General Winchester's command near Defiance. The last of the flour ration had been issued out on December 10th, and the final pieces of meat consumed on the 16th. Facing starvation, 
The winter wonderment occurred in the form of 300 live hogs arriving the following day. And then, as darkness descended on Christmas Eve itself, the relief detail bearing flour finally arrived in camp, creating a Christmas rejoicing among dismal men. On the second day of Christmas, December 26th, winter clothing from Kentucky began its distribution to shivering lads still clad in thin linen shirts. Here for the first time in the peninsula, we cap Christmas. Every man contributed some wine, meat, wine. A ship too, brought and killed. Pies, puddings were baked. Blades, knives, forks were not plentiful. Yet we managed to diminish the stock of evils in quick time. For dessert, we had plenty of apples. And for finish, two or three bandsmen played merry tunes. While many warmed their toes by dancing jigs, reels. John Cooper, seventh Royal Fusiliers. Sounds like mighty merrymaking, if John Cooper was intelligible at all. But before you bite into that dessert apple, you should know that John Cooper and the Royal Fusiliers were not even in North America. This quote comes to us from Europe in Christmas 1813. But it is the end of this statement that draws our interest. Quote, three bandsmen played merry tunes, unquote. For if we cannot find any Christmas in our war story, at the very least, we can discuss music of the era. But herein lies another problem for researchers. While we certainly know what Christmas carols existed at the time, and there were many of which we still know and sing today, without a good bushel of specific references to specific songs being performed at specific events, there is no way to know what songs were popular among Americans of the early Republic. For example, the Boar's Head Carol is nearly 500 years old, but it's not exactly rolling off the tongues at every holiday party we frequent in the 21st century. It has fallen out of popularity. We can, however, make a few intelligent guesses though we will even limit ourselves here for fear of treading too heavily on thin December ice. We can rule out the popular German carols and the Latin ones, like Adeste Fideles, for reasons already stated. God rest you merry, gentlemen, was a very popular carol in Britain in the mid and late 18th century. We heard a wink of this in slow tempo at the very opening of the show. Receiving a broadside publication in 1760 and a second periodical publication in 1775, it's quite conceivable that British soldiers and musicians stationed in Canada would have chimed in a chorus of this around the old barracks fire. And like God rest you merry, gentlemen, 
If proximity to the War of 1812 is any indication of popularity, for the Americans we might choose Hark How the Welkin Rings, which we now know as Hark the Herald Angels Sing, submitted as a hymn in 1739 by Charles Wesley, it was originally prescribed a different tune, as hymns are categorized by numbers of syllables per line. Wesley had originally envisioned the structure of a song we also still recognize today, Christ the Lord is Risen Today. Let's see. rusty, but that was its original version. The melody we know today composed by Felix Mendelssohn does not come into association with the hymn until the mid-19th century. Credence is gained for Hark How the Welkin Rings because this was specifically a Methodist hymn, and Methodism was relatively popular here in the western states and territories at the time, thanks in part to their system of circuit-riding ministers to visit isolated communities. And this brings us to the main focus of our time today. For in the face of this lack of concrete information, we can at last turn to some primary source material of our American Indian brothers, a huge and dynamic fighting force which is fully one-third of our War of 1812 stories, yet heretofore sorely underrepresented on this program. For we do know seemingly a little more about First Nations music for the winter season, and we are excited to share. Most of the research seems to suggest that what we now call the Huron Carol was composed in the early 1640s by Jesuit missionary Jean de Brebeuf, living among the imperiled Huron nation near the southern end of the Georgian Bay, now Midland, Ontario. The Huron Carol, sometimes erroneously called Twas in the Moon of Wintertime, is considered the oldest Christmas carol of Canada and enjoys a reputation of something of a national treasure. The Brebeuf, later canonized a saint, was a gifted linguist and translated many catechisms into the Wandote language. After some 20 years in the New World, when his language skills were reaching their zenith, he composed the carol as a way of telling the nativity story to his fellow family villagers. 
setting it to the melody of an old French tune, Un Jeune Pucelle, typically performed in a jaunting 4 4. In 1649, the mission, its inhabitants, and Abrebeuf were destroyed by the Iroquois in a raid of annihilation. The few and straggling survivors preserved the hymn, drifting to the northeast near the city of Ottawa. Here, nearly 100 years later, in the mid-18th century, another missionary, Father Entienne de Villeneuve, found the displaced Wandote people still quietly singing Les Sous Ahetonia. And he wrote down what he heard, the first known notation of the carol. Discovered among his papers upon his death in the 1790s, Villeneuve remarked that Brebeuf must have known the language incredibly well, for he intimated some deep intangible messages peculiar to the Huron language and the way of thought. It has remained a fixture of the winter culture ever since. In this small Christian group of Huron Wyandotte, later relocated to the Detroit River area, first Bois Blanc Island, and then onto the area of Sandwich, bringing their carol to an area rife with activity in the War of 1812. We sample a tempoed version of the Huron carol, Un Jeune Pucelle, as performed on the Native American flute by members of the Fort Meg's Fife and Drum Corps. humans. Jesus, he is born. Behold the spirit who had us as prisoners, domestic animals, has fled. Do not listen to it as it corrupts our minds, the spirit of thoughts. They are spirits coming with a message for us, the sky people. They are coming to say, be on top of life, rejoice. Mary, has just given birth. Come one, rejoice. top of life. Rejoice! We close today with at least a reference to a remarkable recording that those interested in this subject may choose to investigate. 
1940, the Archive of Folk Culture, the Library of Congress, captured a musical recording of the chants of the Midwinter Festival, as presented by members of the Onondaga Nation, Iroquois. The dream song of the Creator at the White Dog Sacrifice. According to the prescribed ritual, the pure white dog is sacrificed on the fifth day of the festival and is given from all the people to the Creator as a dream token, becoming his protector in the sky world. A digital version is now housed by the American Philosophical Society and cannot be replayed or re-envisioned here at the foot of the rapids. But our thanks to the American Philosophical Society and the research opportunities and materials they provided me. Thank you also to the Daughters of the War of 1812 and thanks to you, the supporting listener. Season's greetings from Fort Meigs. Huzzah!